Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 10 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and I'm joined by my partner, Bob Lucius. Bob, what's happening? Man, I, this, is, uh, this is unusual for me today, Rick. I am, uh, I'm actually up in Boston where I am freezing, and uh, you know, because I'm a Florida guy now. So, uh, but I'm happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the Flag Smasher tonight because I love that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, getting into this character. Before we do that, though, uh, episode 10, Bob, we're double digits. Wow, that's incredible. I know. You know what they say about double digits. Once you go double digits, you can't go back. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. But yeah, so we're talking about uh, Flag Smasher. Uh, because, you know, coming up uh, in the Falcon and Winter Soldier Disney Plus series, there's going to be a whole bunch of characters in that. And one of them, from what we understand, uh, is going to be Flag Smasher and perhaps maybe Ultimatum. So we thought it would be a good idea to talk about the origin of Flag Smasher and get into some of his early uh, issues, early stories. Plus, you know, he made our top 10 villains list uh in our last episode. So, um, you know, uh, I thought it'd be a good idea. We, uh, talk about him. Yeah, I definitely, definitely. I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause that was a fun, uh, fun episode to record. And I hope, uh, I hope folks got a chance to listen to it. Yep. All right. So, uh, this is issue. We're going to start with issue three twelve. Uh, the cover date was December, 1985. Yeah. Uh, which means it, you know, hit the stands probably in, probably September, October of 1985. And just so you know, with issue 312, um, we're only about six issues in Grunewald era, right? So Mark Grunewald, as, as all Cap fans know, was a, uh, a pivotal writer, legendary writer for Captain America for 10 years. And this is the very beginning. So he started with issue 307 and he took over after um, Mike Carlin did a brief uh, writing stint for Cap with issues 301 to 306. And then Mike moved over to editor and Mark moved from editor um, uh, to the writer. And so um, just before issue 312, a few things happened. Uh, Nomad quit as uh, Cap's partner. We also had um, the Serpent Society begin to form. So there was a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of those characters being introduced and uh, the, the society putting together. So these are the things kind of leading up to this particular issue in 312. And I just want to talk about the cover uh, quickly. Um, the cover has uh, up in the corner, uh, we have uh, a different Captain America logo. I mean, well, it started in issue 304, but it's uh, Paul Neary. So Paul Neary has been the artist uh, on this series um, since Mike Zek left. So he's been uh, a, a fairly stable uh, creator on the, on the series. And on this particular cover, uh, which is 65 cents and uh, only, I think, two more issues, and then it jumps up to 75 cents. Uh, but this is, um, it's a cool cover by uh, Paul Neary and uh, Bob Layton is the anchor. And I, I got to tell you, I like Bob Layton's inks on Paul Neary, um, probably because it has more of a Bob Layton 
uh, flavor to it, uh, which I enjoy. Um, and the other uh, creators on this particular ser uh, issue, we have Dennis Junk as uh, the inker, Diana Albers as the letterer, uh, Ken, I hope I get this right, uh, Fedunowitz as the colorer, and I already mentioned Mike Carlin as the editor. So the name of this particular issue is called Deface the Nation. Not face the nation, deface the nation. And so it starts late at night uh, over um, the uh, background. We have the United Nations, right? We have the UN here. Oh, 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 hold on, Rick. We got to stop, man. We, we got we to gotta talk about this cover, man. Okay. Oh, man, this is I hear you. Yeah, I totally missed on that. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this cover is awesome, right? I mean, it's got the American flag draped across the, uh, the front of the cover with flag smashers just bursting through a burning, gaping hole in the middle of the flag while Cap's just like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is stunning. It's I got to tell you, I think, I think the flag smasher here looks a little bit like Space Ghost, but I'm willing to let that slide because he looks pretty damn cool coming through that flag. He looks a lot like Space Ghost. Uh, if Space Ghost had a flamethrower on his <laughs> to his back and the earth on his belt. But other than that, yeah, I, I hear you. Cool cover for sure. So getting back to the story, um, there's this shadowy figure who is flying on some sort of, um, looks like a uh, ATV three-wheeler with wings uh, jetting over the, the sky. And he's going around with this mace hitting all of the, the uh, flags. Um, one would say smashing and uh, knocking these down uh, across the United Nations. And he has his little thing that he's talking about, you know, giving his, his villain uh, monologue. So I'll skip to, to page three where he says, the United Nations, feeble, pathetic, farce, a misguided attempt to promote unity among peoples of the world, to think that good men with good intentions waste their time with such charades. If only I could open their eyes to the counterproductiveness of organizations like this. Perhaps tonight's demonstration will help them see the light. So he uh, then drops a bomb uh, on a police car and um, uh, shows that he's uh, a bad guy. So we cut to the next page uh, on page four and there's Cap there. Well, I should say Steve Rogers. Uh, and Bernie Rosenthal, and Bernie is going over the fact that she's applying for law school. Steve's at the artist board, and there's a knock on the door, and there's somebody there who has uh, delivers this particular thing that needs a signature, and the reason it needs a signature is because it's a pretty important document that he got. It's a check for almost a million dollars. So the uh, Steve basically explains to Bernie he says, um, it's my back pay. So when I dropped out of sight back at the end of the war, Steve Rogers was never officially declared dead, probably because the top brass knew I was Captain America. Uh, anyway, a short time back, I filled out a form letter requesting info on my current status, which was issue 247. And uh, he said, I guess this is the result. So Bernie and him start talking about, well, what are you going to do with all this money? So he says, you know, I have to do something with it. When I filled out the form letter, I attached a note telling them to keep the money. Very Steve thing to do. 
The letter accompanying the check says that it's impossible. Ah, bureaucracy. I must tell you, it makes me mighty uneasy to, to have the, this much of the American taxpayer's money all because of a legal technicality. Now, a million dollars is a lot of money, but it was even a lot more back in 1985. So Bernie corrects him. And she's like, didn't earn it? Are you kidding? No one's worked as hard for this country as you have. And he says, look, I, I never asked for a single set. I, I, I saw my duty and did it without thought of personal gain. It's just not right for me to spend this money on myself. But maybe, maybe there is a, a way to put this money to good use. So then he goes to talk about this, uh, this, this boy uh, that he met in the last issue um, when they were fighting the awesome android. And um, he comes up with that, you know what, I, I, I think what I need to do is I want to do a na- nationwide hotline, a toll-free telephone number that will enable any American who has a problem demanding attention of Captain America to reach me directly. So, you know, Bernie and him talk about, you know, well, you know, all the different problems that can come up with that, right? You're going to get inundated with calls. You're going to get uh, pranks. You're going to get people that, you know, need to um, go through and determine, you know, which ones take priority over others. But they decide to do it. And so both uh, Bernie and Steve go to work and start to, Steve hires a PR agency. He, uh, Bernie starts looking at uh, talking with the telephone companies and private answering services. So they're, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to do something good with that money. Yeah. We cut. This is, keep in mind, this is way before social media, right, Rick? Because right now, like, what would Steve do now, right? He'd have his own Twitter feed or, uh, you know, his Facebook uh, page or something like that. TikTok, he'd be on TikTok, right? That solved the problem. Uh, What problems you've got? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, to to point that out, uh, on page six in the third panel, uh, what does Steve do when he picks up his landline? He grabs the yellow pages. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we know we know it's a little dated. Um, all right, so now we cut to page seven, and we have uh, Bushmaster and Diamondback uh, from the Serpent Society, and they they're basically trying to track down Modoc. Um, so they're in this abandoned uh, AIM facility. And um, they can't find Modoc. They 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 get away from some deadly traps, um, and they they set a time bomb. So that's setting up another story. Uh, Flag Smasher goes on to do more of um, well, smash some flags of all things. Uh, then we cut to Cap talking with the PR agency. Uh, they they basically found a uh, a place in downtown Brooklyn where they can set up. Um, the place for the call center. And then uh, Cap says, you know what? Uh, the PR agency said, um, uh, I need to make a big media splash. So I'm going to do a press conference. Um, again, because they don't have social media. So that's what they're going to do. He's going to call a press conference. So this goes on TV. And um, the announcement is uh, about this press conference. And we cut to this Park Avenue penthouse. And there's a uh, young fit man who's watching this. And then he turns off the TV after hearing about this, this press conference. And he, uh, he looks at a picture that's sitting on top of his TV. And it's a picture of a, uh, of a older man. And he says, do you hear that, that first news story, father? 
this country's nationalistic figurehead is going to be making a public appearance here two days from now. Sounds like a perfect opportunity to challenge the fool and crush him and the ideals he stands for. And then he goes on to give his backstory, right? And because we did say we were going to get into the origin of Flag Smasher, I think we should go through this backstory. And I will point out that uh, Paul Neary, the artist, decided to kind of tell the story in flashbacks by the use of old photos uh, that, uh, that this character has. And um, so there's different photos. And then in the mean, meanwhile, in the background, he's changing into his Flag Smasher costume. So what he says, as he, he's thinking in the thought bubbles, he says, oh, father, if you were only here to see how I would carry on your fight for peace, how, to de- how I've devoted my whole life to the cause, even as you did. You were the heir to a Swiss banking family, but you foreswore business to go into world politics. Your dream was to foster world peace. It was a dream I grew to share. Sure, it was tough growing up an ambassador's son, always moving from one country to another, always feeling a foreigner. I tried to fit in. I learned to speak the language of every country I lived in fluently, but still, I was picked on. I could never understand the prejudice I encountered almost everywhere. The differences between me and them seemed so slight. But through adversity, I grew stronger, mentally, spiritually, and finally, physically. I was just 12 when I took up the martial arts to control my anger. We were living in Tokyo then. By 15, I earned my black belt. I was never picked on again after that. Then a few years ago, we came to America. You had become a delegate to the United Nations. I enrolled at Columbia University. I majored in political science determined to follow you in your footsteps, that goal was violently shattered. A demonstration outside the Latvian embassy erupted into a riot. You were caught in the middle somehow, trampled in the melee. What dark irony. You, a man of peace, killed at a supposedly peaceful demonstration. Why did you die? Because you loved the whole world, while others, all they cared about was the petty little countries of their birth. And so with that vast fortune I inherited from you, I implemented my own way to bring peace and unity to the world. Your beliefs were absolutely correct, Father, but you were about sharing them far too passively. Not me. And this, by this time, he's in his uniform. I will bring them the message of peace through world unity, even if I have to destroy every sim- symbol of separatism on earth. The only way to get the message through to the people of the world is to put it into the only language they can understand, the universal language of violence. With every resource at my command, I will fight for the glory of a unified mankind and woe to who stands in my way. So that, done in a a one and a quarter pages, is the backstory and origin of Flag Smasher. Now, I, I do have to poke a little fun at Paul Neary here. Uh, I told the, re, uh, the listeners that he used these different photos to uh, kind of tell the story as, you know, little black and white photos framed sitting throughout uh, his, his place there. And I, I get some of these photos, right? You got one of his dad. You got one of him, um, you know, learning uh, martial arts. Okay, sure. You know, I'm a proud dad of uh, my son who's in martial arts. I took pictures. Sure, I get it. Hey, there's a picture of him and his dad in front of the UN. Of course, I would do that. But who gets a picture of them 
getting picked on in the in the in the yard by uh by his his uh, schoolmates classmates, right? Like, where's that picture come from? Oh, yeah, who took that? And, and then here's a picture of um, people getting trampled during a peaceful present uh, uh, demonstration. Who who does that? And and then the best one. Here's a picture of him over his dad's open casket. Who takes pictures at funerals? Well, you're being, I think you're being culturally insensitive because, you know, there are cultures around the world where they do that. And, uh, you know, Flag Smasher, he traveled around quite a bit with his dad. His dad was an ambassador. So maybe he picked up some strange habits or habits that uh, seem strange to us. Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll bow to that one. All right. So we move on and Caps, uh, it's time for him to do his press conference, right? So he, he gets uh, in front of the stage. Now, Bernie's there. She's got a, as she said, a cheap blonde wig on because she wanted to be close by. So he gets there and, and uh, he, he says, my fellow Americans and members of the press, I thank you all for coming. I'll keep my announcement short so you can all get back to what you were doing. Oh, he's, he's very thoughtful. Since first donning the star-spangled uniform more years ago than I care to remember, I have considered myself to be America's foremost champion and defender. And what is America? It's a land governed people. And while I cherish the land, and I think our form of government is one of the best ones yet devised, it is you, the people, that I care most about. For without you, this land is no different from any on earth, and this government cannot exist. Recently, I realized that despite all the good things I've tried to do, I've fallen short of being the champion the American people deserve. For one thing, the bulk of my activities lately have been confined to the New York area, an area where costume heroes are in no short supply. There are certain parts of this country I haven't visited in years. Secondly, I've been a rather difficult fellow for you, the American people, to contact when you need me. True, it has been possible to reach me in, case, in care of the Avengers Mansion, but to the average citizen, the Avengers must be a rather imposing organization to deal with. So what I'd like to announce today is that I've come up with a way to close the communications gap between America and me. And just then, Flag Smasher comes busting through the, this glass, shattering everywhere, and uh, gets out his, his gun, and he, and he fires these, these guns at Cap, who, who ducks out of the way. But behind him is this huge American flag. And Cap even thinks to himself, the gunman's incinerary bullets, were they aimed at me or the flag? And next thing you know, the flag's on fire. So he, he pulls it down and uh, says, forgive me, old glory, as he bottles it up to try to stop it from, from burning. And of course, the crowd is panicking, and he reaches out to the crowd to tell them to stop. Um, so the, uh, as he's flying around, flag smasher, Cap throws his shield knocks out one of the jet cycles propulsion propulsion units. Um, but before he can, the, 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 the shield doesn't ricochet back to Cap, which is usually uh, what we see, but um, it falls and Flag Smasher gets it. And he says, uh, he grabbed he grab it before the pathetic Patriot. Um, Stop right there, Captain America. One step closer and I will shoot indiscriminately into the crowd. So he doesn't move. He says, all right. Tell me who you are and what you're doing here. Uh, and he says, give me that microphone. I want the world to hear. 
I call myself the flag smasher, Captain. I represent everything you don't. Okay, you Americans, I want you to listen to what I have to say. It'll be the most important thing you have heard in your lives. So Cap says, look, flag smasher, this is a free country. Everyone has the right to express himself, but no one has the right to force others to listen if they don't want to hear. So why did you give the people here a choice if they want to listen to you or not? And he says, don't quote the Bill of Rights to me. I do not acknowledge the authority that grants it. Sometimes people must be forced to hear what is good for them. Do not interrupt me again, or someone will suffer the consequences. Am I understood? As I've said, I call myself Flag Smasher. My mission is to stamp out the outmoded concept of patriotism. I begun my going out and destroying symbols of nationalism, those flags of the UN, the flag factory, those foreign embassies. I was the one who demolished or defaced them, and those are just the beginning. I am not against America in particular. I am against all countries. I am against the very concept of countries. I believe all men and brothers sprung from the same primal parent. Tribalism, ethnicism, nationalism, these are all latter-day concepts that in our nuclear-powered world have become outmoded and dangerous. They make people think they are different, special, better than other people. This is wrong. All men are equal, no better or different than anyone else. When you say, I'm an American, what you're saying is that you are separate from anyone who cannot make a similar statement. Every nation fosters the idea that is better than all the others. This is what has brought us to warfare with our fellow beings, what has brought us to the brink of nuclear destruction. If we were to erase national boundaries and accept the essential unity of all mankind, the world would be a better place. Earth should not be divided into nations. We are the world, not a bunch of different species. So Cap, he's been standing here with his arms folded, giving Flag Smasher his chance, and, and the crowd's all around listening. Look, Flag Smasher, I cannot fault you for wanting to see the world a better place. So does everybody here. But does your desire for peace and unity justify your acts of violence and terrorism? The people you've injured with flying glass, you expect them to heed your words and ignore your deeds. So at this point, the crowd's kind of getting a little riled up, you know, by what Cap has to say. And they start yelling at Flag Smasher. Get real creep. You tell him, Cap. Go back to Russia, you commie. So he says, what? Uh, I'm not a communist. Weren't you people listening? I hate what the Soviet Union stands for as much as I hate what America stands for. Wake off. Get out of the country. What are you people, warmongers? You like feeling superior to Italians and Swedes and, and Poles and Africans? You want to see this planet torn apart because of petty abstractions? You pathetic fools. I ought to. And just then, the uh, the police surround the building. They 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 have their bullhorn. They're calling in, and it distracts Flag Smasher just enough where Cap makes his move. He goes in and he uh, he grabs uh, the gun from Flag Smasher. He he rips out the the cord that goes to his backpack and the fuel tank, and um, but Flag Smasher hits him with the shield. But Cap falls down, kicks it up into the air. He goes and he attacks Flag Smasher and then he, he grabs the shield and it comes back down. But Flag Smasher uses, uh, I guess, his remote control to get the, the little buggy that he flew in on and um, he grabs his 
mace and he comes out and he attacks Captain America with his mace, but Cap grabs the mace and knocks him out with one punch. Everybody's like, yay, Cap, way to go. So he says, people, I'd like to apologize for what happened here. I'm afraid that whenever I appear in public, there's a chance that somebody who doesn't like what I stand for will strike. Somebody from the crowd says, what did you think of all that junk that creep was saying, Cap? I believe my opponent was wrong. There's nothing harmful about having a sense of national identity or ethnic heritage. America is made up of multitude of different ethnic groups, each of which had its own part to contribute to American culture. Be proud of your heritage, but never let the pride make you forget that beneath it all, we are all human beings who have the same wants and needs and deserve the same respect and dignity. At least that's how I see it. And then he makes a promise to never do a public address again. So before we get into the, the, the next story, the next two issues, I, I think it's uh, interesting. I know we talked a little bit about this when we said, um, you know, we did our top 10 list, right? The difference between a bad guy and a villain. Um, and I, I, we both agreed he's a villain, right? Because he uses terrorist attacks and he's not, and not against killing people to, you know, the ends justify the means. But is he wrong? Well, you know, it's a good question, Rick. You know, and I'm not quite sure he... You know, he's really sort of skirting the villainy uh, thus far, right? He hasn't really killed anyone yet. Uh, he's caused some property damage and destruction. And he hasn't crossed that line yet where he's actually killed anyone yet. But I think he's well on his way to making that transition uh, in, the, in the continuation of the, of the story that we're going to talk about. But yeah, I mean, I, Flag Smasher, you know, he's got some valid points. But I think we can agree that uh, as Cap cap states you know he's he's sort of taken those valid points a step too far in fact a few steps too far and he's willing to use terrorism um rather than rational thought and debate and discussion and free expression to you know sort of explore it so i think boy this yeah this guy this is the that's the worst kind of villainy right somebody who uh who's so convinced that uh their philosophy is correct that they can't they can't see the flaws in it yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that makes him such a compelling villain, right? Is that, um, you know, maybe, maybe we on some aspects and some ways we may agree with them uh, or see their point of view. But um, yeah, you know, the ends obviously don't justify the means. Right. It, it, or do they? And we'll, we'll talk about that in the next, next issue. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's an interesting thing because you know, as you as you noted at the beginning of this uh, this podcast, this issue came out in uh, really the fall of 1985. And if you think about sort of what the world looked like at that point, right? I mean, this was just before really the the Soviet Union completely fell apart, and so we had been in opposing camps for decades and decades. You know, since the end of World War II, uh, armed camps, uh, whether the you know the main players, the United States and the Soviet Union, or their proxy players around the world. And so I think a lot of people, including, I think, probably Mark Grunwald, were, were preoccupied with, you know, this sort of uh, artificiality of this conflict. And where was it really heading? And was it heading where it was heading because of, you know, a nation and nationalities and this, this commitment to sort of national pride? 
Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's where Mark Grumel was going. I mean, he certainly has, over that course of 10 years, you know, he's done his share of, of soapboxes, right, with uh, through Steve. Um, and by the way, uh, I guess we'll, we'll mention at the end of this episode, we have a pretty exciting uh, thing to talk about as far as Mark Grunewald is concerned. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that at the end of this episode. And uh, actually, we'll, we'll take a pause and be right back. Okay, Bob. So talking about uh, these next two issues, uh, Captain America 321 and 322, this is the next time that Flag Smasher appears. And it's a pivotal story, I think, not only in Flag Smasher's story, but also in Steve Rogers, because it, there a lot goes on in these issues. So we want to get to those. Um, but what happened? What happened between issue 312 and 321? So in the pages of Captain America, uh, we had the Serpent Society growing, more more uh, um, members in that and more stories about them, including the death of Modoc. Uh, Porcupine also died during this time. The return of the armadillo. Um, Bernie, she went off to law school and uh, Cap actually moved back into the Avengers mansion. There was a team up with Hawkeye and Mockingbird, which... Um, I don't know. You know, I didn't know this. I, I or at least I don't remember this, but uh, I think Mark Grunewald had a little soft spot for Hawkeye and Mockingbird because, you know, um, prior to being an editor, did you know he um, actually was the penciler for that Hawkeye four issue miniseries? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, he, you know, so uh, he had a little couple issues there with Hawkeye in it. Um, and then, uh, then we had the Scourge story, right? So the Scourge, of the underworld uh, was uh, this, who also was, it was in our dishonorable mention when we talked about the top 10 list uh, because there was multiple of them, but um, death adder from the serpent society was killed. Uh, then there was an issue where blue streak was killed. And then um, in issue three nineteen, uh, the, the new scourge killed like 17 of these C and D list villains all in the same issue. Um, and then Scourge was killed. So there was a lot of death leading up to this issue. And I thought that was important to point out um, because I think Cap was, he was always trying to do the right thing without, uh, without killing. And uh, so that brings us to issue 321. Now, for, for a lot of Cap fans out there and Marvel fans and just Mike Zek fans, this cover is amazing. And this cover is this black background and you have Captain America without a shield holding an Uzi in his right hand, uh, firing it. And he has this incredibly angry look on his face with his mouth open. And uh, he, he looks pretty scary. He looked very menacing. Um, so the name of uh, this issue is called Ultimatum. And uh, just, just so you know, um, this issue came out uh, in September of 1986. And the other thing that was going on during this time, and I just think it's worth mentioning that um, in 1985, a huge movie that came out was a sequel. And it was Rambo, First Blood Part Two. And I bring that up because really, you know, that was kind of how a lot of people in America were leaning towards you know that was like the anti-hero hero really um and so you had uh, yes this ex-military uh with um 
you know, fighting back uh, with deadly force. And, you know, a lot of people at the time have been thinking of Captain America as this Boy Scout, right? And, um, you know, and there were some fans that were calling for, like, you know, we would love to have, you know, Captain America be more like Rambo. And so I think Mark Grunewald heard this and he's addressed it in these, these stories here and, and for future stories to come. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really important point because, you know, around this time and increasingly so over the next uh, several years, superheroes with guns were, were kind of a big thing. And, uh, and I'm really happy that we're going to talk about uh, how Grunewald addressed that in, uh, in this book uh, and particularly with respect to Cap. Right. Yeah. Punisher miniseries, you know, was big um, around this time. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. So in this uh, particular issue, uh, it starts off with this um, uh, airliner, uh, TWA airliner in the sky. And then you see these, these characters on flying jet skis are all in white with black pants. And uh, they're, they're going on to um, uh, onto the airplane. Right. And and they're talking to each other, deploying grappling hooks. Um, and uh, I, I won't get into everything they say, but I will say there is this one time uh, if I could find it. Oh, yeah. On page three in the second panel, um, the the conversation between these guys, uh, keep your distance, Rivik. I don't want you sliding off and taking me with you. The other person says the electromagnetic grips and my skis are working perfectly sir and then the third person says coming over the top mon interesting okay yeah sounds yeah. Like, like jamaican right yeah i mean a nice mix of uh of uh, i think a swede and a jamaican and i don't know what the uh what the third guy is but definitely a uh i hate to say i hate to use the characterization but a multinational anti-national force yes Exactly. And, and, and we get a little bit more of that when they actually bust into the, the, uh, the, the plane and one of the guys says, right behind you, mine hair. Right. So he's, so it's definitely, you could see that it's multinational. And then you, you have uh, the, them take off their mask and, um, or the helmet, I should say, and underneath is uh, flag smasher. And he, and he walks up to the, the uh, pilots and, and um, takes over the plane. So we cut to page five. And, and by the way, I, I need to get back to the credits. I, I missed on this. Sorry. It is still Mark Grunewald. It is still Paul Neary uh, and Albers on letters and Fedowitz uh, on colors. Um, so the same people there. But a difference is instead of Jack on the uh, on inking, it is John Beatty, who's been the longtime partner of Mike Zeck. And I also want to point out, that it says Nary layouts and Beatty finishes, which is difference between pencils and inks, as our good friend Joe Rubenstein pointed out in our interview not too long ago. So that means that John Beatty had a lot more work on this than, he, than just inking. He actually uh, finished. And quite frankly, I, you can almost see, see it in, in the artwork, right? There's, there, there's a couple different places here where I look and I go, oh, I can see a Zek influence here. I uh, thought it was worth pointing out. So um, we cut on page five, and and I think to me in the, the bottom panel on this has a little Zek look to it. So that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and you've got um, Cap in uniform talking to 
um, a young boy, um, and basically his uh, his name is Ram Ridley, and he's bringing him a a little suit. Uh, it's kind of with stars and stripes on it as a reward for helping out with the uh, computer network, so that uh, Cap can be um, reached out to you know during his uh, his nationwide network. And um, <clears throat> his mom there is uh, is there as well, and and says, "Oh, you need to stay for dinner." So they convince him, and he says, "Okay, sure." Um, so they stay for dinner, and boy, does she bring out this uh, this huge uh, turkey? Looks like uh, it looks like she was expecting him to say yes, and uh, he takes off his mask. He takes off his mask, and he says, "Well, I probably look like a thousand other blonde guys. Besides, I think I could trust you two to not take any pictures." And here we go. Here we go, Bob. Here we go. <laughs> it's the bubble of the woman, right? Yeah. And she goes, my gosh, he's more gorgeous than I imagined. The only thing that's missing is the Bernie and the Rachel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she says, stay cool, Holly. Don't make a fool of yourself. So they finish dinner and, uh, so she's like, uh, tells her son, why don't you go to your room and finish your homework? I want to talk to the captain about a few adult matters. And he's like, but I finished my homework. And then she gives him like the death stare. Okay, sheesh. So, um, no, no, I, I, I love, I, you know, I gotta give, I gotta give props to the letter because I love the icy, the yeah. icy, the icy, you know, uh, dialogue bubble. Hiram. Yeah. <laughs> I can almost hear it. Yes, all all of us have heard it at some point from our moms, right? Yes, yes. So he says, uh, thank you, Mrs. Ridley. Um, uh, he's going to pass an American pie, trying to watch his waistline. And she says, please call me Holly. All right, Holly. Uh, so what is it you want to talk to me about, Holly? And then he says, hmm, by candlelight, she reminds me a lot of Bernie Rosenthal, my once upon a time fiance. So they're there with wine and candlelight. And she just goes on and want to thank him, right? Because um, she tells a little sob story about uh, their background and how she's single and uh, that he, her son needs a good positive influence. And so um, she says, listen, if there's ever anything, anything, anything emphasis <laughs> that I can do for you, and she places her hand on his, a warm meal, someone to talk to, a place to spend the night, all you have to do is ask. <laughs> um, I'll remember that, ma'am. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta give props to to Groove for you know doing service for the teenage boys uh, out there reading reading this at the time because uh, yeah, this was this was uh, a dream come true. Yeah. <clears throat> so then, at that point, the 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 sun comes down. And says Cap, we have an emergency, and the emergency uh, is basically that uh, you know reporting that. Uh, ultimatum took the the uh, the plane hostage. So we cut to page nine, where the uh, they're at some some base somewhere in Europe, and the uh, the plane, you know, it's a, uh, obviously a place where um, it's kind of like an airport hangar, you know, with a runway, um, and so they're setting up for everything, and they're taking the hostages, and the uh, flag smasher gets on to record uh, a, a message. And he says, citizens of the world, I am the flag smasher 
Earlier today, I and several agents of Ultimatum, which stands for the ultra, which stands for the underground, liberated, totally integrated, mobile army to unite mankind, used our advanced technology to hijack an American airliner and took it its 110 passengers hostage. What kind of man would commit such a crime? I'll tell you. I'm a man without a country. It's an act of choice. I believe that the idea of countries, imaginary boundaries dividing men from their brothers is dangerous. My aim, ultimatum's aim, is to see all nationals' boundaries erased, all symbols of separatism destroyed. The passengers I hold are just plain people. I mean them no harm, but I will harm them if that's what it takes to get my point across. My point now is to prove that Captain America, that champion of separatism and national vanity, beat me in our first encounter by sheer luck, not because his position was morally superior. In exchange for the release of the hostages, I demand that Captain America render himself to us so I can execute him on worldwide television. If you're listening, Captain, I will give you my specific instructions on how to surrender. If you decide not to surrender, all the hostages will be killed and the blood will be on your hands. And then he gives them the long, longitude and latitude and gives them, you know, stay, stay by for further instructions. So Cap thinks to himself, now he's flying in a uh, borrowed Quin, Avengers Quinjet. Flag Smasher has gotten even more fanatical than when we last fought. For the sound of it, I wonder how he assembled his terrorism group so fast. Can there be that many who share his warped political views? If I surrender, there's no guarantee that Flag Smasher will honor his word to free the hostages, and I'll be in no position to help them. But if I don't surrender, I may be risking all of their lives. My best bet is to use the time I have left before the deadline to find the hostages and free them. Let's see, that gives me four hours minus the two hours it takes to fly across the ocean. Not much breathing room. And then he reaches out to um, S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and uh, other agencies and uh, basically looking for a place, an abandoned place that has a runway where he could have taken the, the airplane. And there were only really four locations within a certain radius of when the, the plane went off the, the blip. So three of them were covered and Cap covered the fourth one. So he, he lands the Quinjet and he gets out into his little sky cycle and he looks for uh, a base and he finds a sentry station and um, he, he busts in through the glass and he, uh, there's two, two guards there, ultimatum guards. And um, they fire the machine gun, but Cap stops them just in time and says, look, um, you're ultimatum, right? Uh, and the guy says, I will tell you nothing, swine. One of those, huh? And then he threatens them. And he says, have you ever wondered how much pressure it takes to cause permanent damage to the ligaments in a hand? You want to find out? And he starts squeezing the hand. But uh, the, the ultimatum guy says, well, we've all been briefed on you, America. You're far too honorable to torture for information. You do not frighten me. Blast. He knows I'm bluffing. All right. We'll take off your uniform. We'll, you can do this easy or the hard way. And, of course, he chooses the hard way and he knocks him out. So um, he says these, he thinks to himself, these terrorists play by different rules than the average criminal I face. How am I supposed to get information out of people who'd sooner throw their life away to betray their cockamamie cause? This joker had me pegged, all right. I'm not willing to stoop to their level 
in order to win. My code of ethics won't permit me. If I'm going to pull this keeper off, I'm going to have to rely on subterfuge and surprise. So he goes and he, he changes into a, a uniform. He puts the shield in his, behind him in his back, uh, throws away the weapons, but he does hold on to one uh, uh, that he needs as a prop in order to pass himself off as an ultimatum agent. And then he says, I just hope nobody notices how strange my back looks with the shield stuck under my coat. Thank you, Grunewald. Thank you for... <laughs> now, Paul Neary didn't do, I think, an adequate job because I think the shield's bigger than what it looks like. So I think almost Grunewald had to explain it that way. Um, but, uh, but thank you for pointing that out. So he walks right into the base because who suspects, right? He's, he's dressed as one of them. Uh, he goes up to a guy and, um, and uh, knocks him out pulls him into like a, a coat closet or something. And he says, um, you know, tell me, tell me where the, the hostages are being held. And he says, um, you know, I don't have time for this. He says, I'd rather die before I betrayed the cause. Kill me. See if I'm lying. And Captain says, again, my bluff has failed. No time left for delicacy. I hate resorting to this. Better bind this guy so he doesn't betray my presence. So he knocks the guy out. So then he, he goes off and he uh, sees these, these various agents getting on these flying uh, skis, right? And so he, he jumps onto them. And, but he, before he does that, he sneaks up on a guy. And he says, I'm, I'm glad Holly and Ram aren't here to see this. I'm not particularly proud of having to use these terrorist guerrilla tactics. But 110 lives are at stake. And he knocks out this guy from behind. With so little time left before the deadline, I can't waste any time fighting fair. Sure hope I can figure out how to work these things, which he ends up doing. Apparently, there's a device within the helmet you move with your tongue. Um, so he, he shoots off. And he ends up finding the, the monastery. I mean, he basically follows the road, realizing that the bus had to take it there. So he goes there, um, and he, he reaches the monastery. And, he, and again, he knocks out the first guy. And he says, he thinks to himself, I can't believe Flag Smashers pushed me this far. Every second that goes by, I'm forced to compromise my ideas of fighting fair. So he keeps coming back to that. So he goes in and he sees the hostages. Now there's a bunch of, of uh, agents there. He sees four of them. And some of them are far away, um, but they all have automatic weapons. So he tells this one to come here and he knocks him out. Um, and he's, and he, the time's running out because the flag smasher gave him a deadline. And if he doesn't show up, he's going to start killing the, um, the hostages. So he, um, he basically goes and, and, um, knocks out the first guy. There's, uh, a couple more and he sends the jet skis there to, um, to, I guess, kind of, um, distract them. And he throws his shield at the one that's farthest away. And um, the, the one that's closest to him uh, basically takes the machine gun and starts firing on the crowd. He just, just starts killing people. And Cap says to himself, my God, he opened up to the crowd. No. And he grabs the, the prop machine gun that he kept with him. And he reacts faster than he thinks. It would take five seconds to reach the terrorist and wrench the gun from his hands. 
In that time, scores of innocents would die. There's only one way to reach him faster. And he shoots him. And he says, good Lord, what have I done? Now the crowd's happy. They're like, Cap, you saved us. How many were hit? And somebody says, four, I think. Which one of them died? Minutes later, uh, he thinks to himself, the terrorists have been bound. The hostages are boarding the buses. And I found the man I shot, dead. And the one guy says to him, what? You're bringing that body of that murderer aboard? Yes. When you are all safe, I intend to avenge him and my honor. The end for now. So this next issue, issue 322, because that's heavy stuff, right? That's really heavy stuff. And, and rather than you and I talk about it right now, I think we should just get right into 322 because we want to hear what's going in Cap's mind because Mark Grunewald um, wrote, uh, I think most of this is in first person, right? Is a, kind of like an ongoing monologue inside Steve's head. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read most of it because I think it's really important stuff. Now on the cover of 322, it's a really cool cover of Flag Smasher on top of Cap fighting in this blizzard. And this one is done by Paul Neary, but uh, it was inked by Joe Rubenstein, our pal Joe Rubenstein. Um, inside uh, the issue, um, the credits are, and I have to get to actually to the last page for the credits, um, but this one is um, uh, the same as last. You have Mark Grunewald, writer, Paul Neary, penciler, John Beatty, embellisher, Diana Albers, letterer, and Ken, sorry, Ken, Fedwitz colorist and Mike Carlin editor. This story is called The Chasm. So we have Captain America and um, uh, and he's coming in through a parachute and a bunch of shield agents coming in through a parachute and they're, they're coming down into the base that Flag Smasher was at, right? Because we had just left, he had just left the monastery while rescuing the hostages, but now there's all these agents dropping in on ultimatum. The name's Captain America. For more years than I care to remember, I've been a soldier in the war against oppression, injustice, and crime. Due to a special process I once underwent, my entire body has been enhanced to the peak of human potential. Through rigorous training and constant practice, I had, hoped my I had honed my body to be a highly efficient fighting machine, a fact I'm certain these men will attest to once they recover, that is. So there's this battle going on, again, between the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and ultimatum, and Cap's just tearing through them, looking for Flag Smasher. Cap's uh, basically thinking about what the, what's going on and what brought him here. So he brings, he, he's, on page three, he says, ultimatum's goal is to unite mankind by abolishing the concept of nationalism, which they feel gives people a sense of separatism and superiority over others. To achieve this end, they launch terrorist attacks against symbols of nationalism. These attacks may not cause a single nation to weaken, but they sure do capture the media's attention. You might guess that as a living symbol of America, I make an irresistible target for these people. That's right. I'm just one man. One man who's dedicated his life to the ideals of freedom, justice, and equality. Some folks misunderstand me. They think I rep represent the American government, its political system, or its official policies. I don't. I represent the American dream, the notion that human beings should have the opportunity to become their 
I represent the American dream, the notion that human beings should have the opportunity to better their lives and attain their noblest aspirations. Being Captain America is the fulfillment of my American dream. No one forced me to take the name or represent the ideals. I chose to. The responsibility has weighed heavily on me at times. But I do my best. I try to set a good example. I try to fight the good fight. If Ultimatum had peacefully promoted their anti-nationalist philosophy, I would have defended their right to express their point of view. But instead, they coerced people to listen to them and placed the lives of innocence in jeopardy. That was the first thing that made me mad. And I think we've, uh, we've learned that we don't want to get Cap mad. It's true. It's a slow burn. You know, it takes a lot to, to, to tick off Cap, but uh, you don't want to do it. The other thing that makes him angry is guns. You'll notice that everyone around here uses guns except me. I believe that guns are for killing. And killing is the ultimate violation of individual rights. The ultimate denial of freedom. I never carry a gun. I have never taken another person's life until three hours ago. It began when Ultimatum's agents hijacked an American airliner and took 110 citizens hostage. In exchange for their freedom, Ultimatum wanted me to surrender myself to them. If I did that, I knew there was no way I could guarantee the hostages' release. Instead, I located their base here and went undercover as one of them. I succeeded in locating the hostages and subduing most of their captors when an ultimatum agent began firing into the crowd. Every second I delayed might cost another life. I had no time to reach him, no weapon to throw at him. So I shot him with that gun that went with my disguise. The image of that man being smashed through a stained glass window by the impact of my bullets haunts me. Under the circumstances, perhaps I had no choice. It was one life, his against the many hostages he could have killed. Still, I cursed myself for not planning better, for not preventing such a situation from arising. I'm angry at myself as I am at them. And no matter how many of the, they fall before my shield, my anger is still not spent. I'm hoping that if I can capture their leader of Ultimatum, the man known only as Flag Smasher, I might quell the beast raging inside me. The problem is that no one has seen him since the air raid began 20 minutes ago. So he goes on, finds Flag Smasher, who is leaving in a helicopter. He grabs onto the helicopter, and he basically makes him fire at him, which the ricochets from the, um, the shield uh, go up into the propeller. Um, and then uh, they fight, which causes um, Flag Smasher to lose control, and the, the helicopter then... Uh, hits one of the uh, mountains in the Alps and crashes and um, they, they fall uh, into uh, the snowbanks. Um, so this is far away from the base. Um, so Cap, um, he, he wakes first and he thinks, I stagger towards Flag Smasher's half-buried body. It looks like the plummet took its toll more on him than me. I couldn't quite bring myself to feel sorry for him. Good thing too. He had me suckered, but I rolled with it. I'll never underestimate him again. So Flagsmaster stands up and he says, I hate you, Captain. I hate your self-righteousness, your moral smugness. You're not bright enough to see what a relic of outmoded values you are. Flagsmaster's rhetoric doesn't make me any angrier than I already am. 
Let him rant and rave all he wants. I won't waste my breath trying to convince him of the spaciousness of his worldview. What is it about fanaticism that makes men such tireless soldiers? It's as if the more improbable it is they'd ever attain their goals, the harder they are able to fight. I wonder if people say the same thing about me. Does my love for America dream border on fanaticism? Is it improbable I'll ever attain my goals? The realization of where I've slid clears my mind's abstract questions, but my warning comes too late. My opponent hurls himself over the edge of the chasm. So as they're fighting, Flag Smasher falls over the edge. The blizzard is getting worse and worse and worse. So Cap can't figure out how far Flag Smasher fell, but he feels it's pretty far. And he's, he's, uh, he says, suddenly I'm aware of the deadly cold. The driving wind begins to sting like hot needles. Nothing to do now but try to survive the storm. I use my shield as a shovel to dig a man-sized burrow. Inside, I hug myself to keep warm. And images of those enemies whose deaths I recently witnessed do a dance macabre before my eyes. And it's images of Modoc, who we mentioned, Porcupine, who we mentioned died, and also Red Skull. It's been a bloody year. I wonder if Flag Smasher's face will join the others. About an hour later, the storm has let up. I venture out. I peer over the edge and fancy I see Flag Smasher's body at the bottom of the chasm. If I were smart, I'd stay put, build a better shelter, and rest until morning. But if I did, Flag Smasher wouldn't have a chance of surviving the night, assuming he's still alive right now. But do I have to go out of my way to save him? Didn't I promise to avenge the ultimatum agent I killed? Wouldn't seeing Flag Smasher, the man who nurtured the fellow's fanaticism dead, constitute my vengeance? It looks like a long way down. I better get there before the moon sets. It takes me about an hour to make it to the bottom of the chasm. My arms feel like sandbags hanging from them. My calves feel like day-old spaghetti. I wander about looking for Flag Smasher. I finally see a glint of reflected moonlight from his belt insignia. He's not moving. The snow around him has been has not been disturbed in a long while. I unbury him from the snow. He's lying. He groans a bit. He's still alive. It seems though his right leg is twisted funny. So even Cap's having a little bit of a crisis of faith. So he he goes and he makes a a little bit of a um, splint from the debris that was there, and he uh, drags him to a, a new little cave that he that he digs out with his shield. He closes it up because he's more afraid of frostbite than suffocation. It's as black as death here in the womb of the mountain, as silent as oblivion. I was hoping our respiration and our body heat would warm us up the air a bit. I don't feel any different. With his cloak wrapped around him like a blanket, Flag Smasher begins to shiver. I can hear the chattering of his teeth. He's not going to last till morning. Unless we seriously try to pull our body heat. I huddle next to him in the dark. My mind drifts in and out of sleep. When I go under, I dream I'm in an iceberg in the North Atlantic. I'm only vaguely aware when Smasher, Smasher's body stops shivering. At one point, I hear him moan. Where am I? I answer, you're alive, and that's all you need to know. So not only does he go out of his way to save him at his own peril, but then he huddles with him for body warmth. I mean, that's, and this is a man he, he really despises. Yeah, I mean, he's gone above and beyond here to, uh, to, to save 
the guy that he swore he was going to uh, wreak vengeance upon. So he carries Flag Smasher out, who eventually wakes, and he, and he says, Captain America, put me down at once. What's the meaning of this? What have you? And Cap says, I've saved your life. I could have let you die, but I didn't. So he goes and he turns his shield over and he puts him on there and acts as a sled. And Flag Smasher says, if you expect these heroic gestures of yours will in any way make me more sympathetic towards your insipid patriotic cause, think again. That's not why I do this, Flag. I'm doing this out of love for humanity. My reverence for life, concepts beyond your notions of patriotism. I love humanity too, Captain, but I'm not the same for you. So Cap says, like it or not, you're going to listen to me, Flag Smasher. I want to address some false notions I think you have of me. First of all, I'm not a knee-jerk patriot. I don't believe in my country, right or wrong. I support America and its concept, its essence, its ideal. Its political system, its foreign and domestic policies, its vast book of laws. I'm not America's official advocate of any of that. What I represent are the principles that America's politics, laws, and policies are based upon. Freedom, justice, equality, opportunity. Then, Flagmaster says, then why alienate the rest of the world with America in your name? Why don't you call yourself Captain Freedom, Captain Justice? I'd be glad to answer that for you right now, but I think I hear something, and it's an aircraft, a copter. And sure enough, it's ultimatum. So they come. And um, because uh, at this whole time, the homing transmitter um, Flag Smasher had. Flag Smasher thinks, I could order them not to shoot, spare Captain America's life as he did mine. Then we would be even. No, I shall not give such order to do so would be a sign of weakness. So Cap then um, uh, runs behind Flag Smasher, pulls the shield out from underneath him, uh, uses that to, to stop the, uh, the, the two um, men shooting at him, um, even though he's he's tired, uh, he overcomes, um, and then he runs towards the helicopter. And there's a uh, a female agent who's shooting at him, and then tries to pull a knife on him, and he stops her. He knocks her back. He ties them all up, um, and counts the fact that there's a gun missing, um, and tells Flag Smasher, <clears throat> Flag Smasher, have you seen the other gun that was lying here? And this odd trail in the snow leading from where you are to where it dropped? Hmm. Hand it over, Flag. No jokes. You want it, Captain? Come and get it. And while you're coming, I want to tell you I truly appreciate our little talk today. It helped me get a, a better idea of the man you are. A man worthy of my profound contempt. I despise you for your fanatical devotion to your ideals. I hate that you have proven my physical superior twice now. I don't deserve a foe as grand as you. You must die. But he throws the weapon instead. But I'm no fool, Captain. It's unlikely I'll succeed today. But someday, when your back is turned, rest assured, I'll put a bullet in it. Cap thinks, not much I could say to that. So I bind Flag Smasher and load him and his cronies aboard the chopper and take off. Ironic, this whole affair began with Ultimatum hijacking a U.S. aircraft and ends with me hijacking Ultimatum aircraft. So he goes to the uh, back where the two uh, agents, shield agents were left and he turns them over. Flag Smasher says to him, you're going to regret saving my life, Captain. I'll give you my word on that. 
and Cap ends thinking to himself, wrong, Flag Smasher. Life is precious, even yours. So where do we start? I mean, wow, that's a lot of stuff to uh, take in there. Um, I mean, Cap's obviously struggling with the fact that he had to take a life. And I think Grunewald's kind of pointed out, you know, in the stories leading up to this, right, with the, all the killing that's been going on, right? The Serpent Society killing Modoc, Scourge of the Underworld going around and killing. Um, you have Cap questioning himself if, he, if his motives are outdated, if his motives are... Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think one of the things that, uh, that Grunwald is, is, uh, is by, by planting this sort of almost self-doubt in, uh, in Cap's mind, he's, he's also addressing really what a lot of, um, what a lot of uh, maybe readers had been writing in and saying, right? I mean, is Cap outmoded? Are his values and his principles outmoded? And I think what Gru is, uh, is, is going to be doing here as he continues uh, writing for this series is he's categorically saying, no, Cap isn't outmoded. Maybe what some readers think Cap stands for isn't in fact what Cap stands for. And he clarifies that. And I think he does that in a very strategic way. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the way Mark wrote this particular issue because it, the entire thing was a monologue from Cap's thought. Um, and he, he went from questioning himself to um, stating what it is that he stands for. And, um, you know, this, is, this, this story is going to haunt him, right? It's going to haunt him. I mean, the very next issue, um, you know, uh, he has to deal with the bad press of, of, of killing uh, the terrorist, uh, which leads to Super Patriot um, trying to step up to to be that that hero for America. So next issue we have the introduction of of um, John Walker. We will save that for another podcast. But uh, yeah, this is this is a big story that sets up um, future future stories uh, of Cap struggling with his place in the modern world. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things I, I love this, uh, this issue because it, uh, it comes up, you know, right, at least once a month or once every month and a half in the Captain America comic book fans uh, Facebook group, because, you know, the question is, has Cap ever killed anyone? And invariably, this issue comes up, uh, folks bring this, this issue up, and other folks bring up Golden Age Cap stories in which Cap um, used, used uh, firearms quite, quite a bit. Uh, and so it's always a lively debate in, in, in the Facebook group. And I enjoy those debates quite a lot. Yeah, I found it interesting. And I don't know, is, is, was Mark Runerald retconning here? Because he said, I had never killed before three hours ago. Was he saying that he never killed uh, ever? Was he saying he didn't kill outside of war, you know, time of war, uh, during time of peace? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think I think a lot of our golden age Cap fans probably would uh, debate that. Yeah, and I think there's there's definitely a lot of the grist for the grist for the mill there. But I do think I do think Renwald was uh, was undertaking a bit of uh, of retcon, and also you know, just as I said earlier, just you know making a, drawing a strategic line in the sand that this is this is who Cap is and this is what Cap stands for, and just sort of reaffirming. Uh, and clarifying for for the readership that uh, moving forward that this is who Cap is. Yep. Yeah. Well, 
Bob, I know you, you're a Mark Grunewald fan and, and I am too, and, and many of our listeners. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting to announce that next, next episode is an interview with Catherine Schuler Grunewald, who was the wife of the late, great Mark Grunewald. So she's going to come on and discuss um, uh, a lot of stuff about Mark's time on Captain America. Uh, we'll discuss uh, various stories um, that, uh, you know, are highlights during that 10-year career, uh, some of the characters that he developed, his love for the character, um, what happened at the end, uh, and uh, unfortunately his untimely death at a very young age, um, and also uh, what she has done afterwards to kind of continue his legacy with the Ashograph, you know, which is the uh, taking Mark Grunewald's ashes and, and combining it with ink and um, putting it into, uh, you know, the stories that uh, he loved so much. So that's a real, it's a real fascinating interview. And um, that's coming up next, uh, next episode. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, but you're not going to want to miss that, uh, that, uh, that podcast if you're a Cap fan. So Bob, we have um, uh, another review on Apple that I wanted to share. Uh, so this one comes from Mitch Halleck, who is also a member of our Captain America comic book fans Facebook group. And uh, Mitch also actually runs uh, Terrific Con, uh, which is um, uh, it's a, a Connecticut's largest comic con. So um, but anyway, he wrote, as a lifelong Cap fan, I'm so glad to hear a podcast totally devoted to it. The hosts are passionate about the subject matter and you can hear it come through. I love hearing reviews of the great Demetrius Zekron, which uh, I think that was episode four when we reviewed the Deathlock Lives. He, he wrote, uh, growing up in the New Haven, Connecticut area, it was a great time as Mike Zek lived in the area and would shop at my local comic shop in the 80s when these issues were coming out. As a teenager looking to be a comic book artist, then it was great to talk with them. Um, and then he goes on to say, um, uh, I'll be listening to your future shows no matter what. So thanks, Mitch. We really appreciate that. And uh, if you want to uh, also get mentioned here on the podcast, please leave a five-star review and uh, on Apple Podcasts or uh, iTunes, and we'll be sure to, to mention that here. And if you uh, listen on other plat platforms, please uh, do subscribe. We really do appreciate, appreciate that, and we'll continue to put these uh, out every Wednesday. So, Bob, uh, as always, uh, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got to love this story. I love the Flag Smasher, and I'm so glad that we had a chance to dive into this one. Absolutely. Well, I'm Rick Verbanis. That's Bob Lucius. And you've been listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Mm -hmm.